All right, since you brought your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 21. We're gonna jump right into our next message in the book of Acts. I've titled the message, Power, Purpose, Pain, and Provision. Actually, God's provision, because I didn't want a a total alliterated, cheesy title. Um, But we're gonna see all four of these things in the text. Again, in your Bibles in Acts 21. By the way, today is our last message in the book of Acts for the rest of this year, 2022, and we'll pick it up again in uh, middle of January, once we get into our 21 days of fasting and prayer. Today is a long text and it seems uh, a little depressing kind of where we're at. How many of you know, like we're decorated for Christmas, by the way, can we thank our team for doing a great job decorating our building? It even smells good in this place, right everybody? But nothing says Christmas like the Apostle Paul getting beat almost to death, right? So that's where we're at in the text. Sorry, uh, we had planned to, to commit to this text for this day, so here we are. Uh, while you're turning there though, just looking at the title, how many of you understand that walking with God will include all of these things. Right, everybody? Come on, like walking with the Lord for any amount of time, and you may be a new Christian and you've not really experienced um, some of the rejection of family or friends because of your new faith in Jesus or your recommitment to the Lord may cost you some friendships of those that you've been running hard with in another way of life, right? Um, Let me just walk it out for you. There is the power of God that wants to be on display in your life. Can I hear an amen from somebody? There's also... The power of darkness and the power of evil. Paul says it like this in Ephesians, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and cosmic powers. Like the devils really hate your guts and he hates that you love God. And so he will use any means necessary to attack you to come against your faith. So there's power dynamics when you're serving the Lord. If we'll look and see the big picture, we can see the purpose that God has to allow certain things to happen in our lives. Let me just say this to you. God never puts bad on you, but he'll use it for his good and for his glory. So, so do we have the objective ability to see the purposes of God in what we're going through? Or no one escapes this life without some sort of pain, right? I mean, relational pain, physical pain, social pain, we're all dealing with that socially. And, and, and listen, I always teach our team and I've taught my kids, pain is a gift because it reveals where we need to do some work, right? And so pain, you, you never have growth without pain, but, but this is part of the life of the Christ follower. I mean, that, that, that we will endure times of pain. Jesus said, we will have trouble in this world. And then we love to see God's provision come through as well. I just wanna challenge you, if you can, just from the title of this sermon, use these words as a grid or a filter of how we see going through different stages of our lives. Are you seeing, are, are you going through something and, and really experiencing God's power or needing God's power to come through for you? Are you able to see God's purpose prevail in what's happening? Are you walking through something painful? Maybe because God wants to use it to teach you something. And are you excited? And do you recognize and see the provision of the Lord? I think this is a great grid. These words, I mean, should be words that we utilize when we're trying to recognize what God is doing in us and with us and through us. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 21 and we're gonna see all of these things. God's power, we're gonna see the purpose of why Paul goes through what he goes through, the pain that he endures, and God's great provision. So let me catch us up to where we've been. Uh, We've been so far in this part of the book of Acts where Paul is finishing his third missionary journey. He's back in Jerusalem. Now he's traveled all over uh, the developed part of of the, the, the cities and countries around the Mediterranean Sea, the north side of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's now back in Jerusalem reporting all the miracles, all the amazing stories, all the incredible details of what God's done with him over these last three trips of ministry. Commentators suggest he's walked over 10,000 miles in this ministry, and he was incredibly effective in preaching the gospel, in miracles, in church planting, and raising the dead, and developing leaders, and also he's had to deal with his fair share of persecution. He's been in prison, beaten multiple times, etc. 
So he's come back to Jerusalem. And many of you heard this sermon last week. And I wanna encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, go back and listen to that sermon because it really sets the groundwork for where we are this week. But he's come back to Jerusalem and he's reported to the elders all the great things that have happened in three ministry tours. And rather than like throwing a celebration party or having like a, you know, a speaking tour on all the late night talk shows, they tell Paul, you need to lay low for a while because there's a bit of controversy with you. You've created a disturbance for us. There's some wild accusations against you of what you're teaching against, et cetera. So they asked Paul to take a break from ministry, public ministry, and do a small group of these four young men for a season, a couple weeks at most. And so he's gonna lead them through this Nazarite vow ritual, an old covenant vow that he doesn't even need to keep anymore, but they've asked him to do this. As that vow is coming to a close, this angry mob of religious zealots, they're actually Jewish zealots, zealous Jews from, and your Bible says Jews from Asia. Now that's, we gotta qualify that because when we think Asia in our, our modern context, we're thinking like China, Japan, Taiwan, Korea. But this part of Asia in the New Testament is actually like Southwest corner of Asia, really around the North part of the Mediterranean where Turkey and Greece would be today. So this angry mob of Jews have come and traveled while Paul's doing this small group with these four young men, this group is coming to find him, hunt him down and kill him. So last week we saw in the text, man, what a, what a crazy story, right? Paul's obeying God, he's obeying his elders, he's discipling these four young boys, and he gets arrested for it. He gets brought out into the street, and they're beating the fire out of him. And then it says God's provision, you guys remember this last week, the provision of God was the Lord sends a captain in the army, right? A lieutenant colonel who's got a thousand troops under his leadership, and they hear the disturbance, and they run down to the city, and they see, it's, it says funnily, Funnily, is that a word? In a funny way? Hilariously, awkwardly. So they hear the disturbance and they run down and it says that when the, the Jews that had captured Paul saw the military police, they stopped beating them. So otherwise they were just pounding on Paul right in the street. And so the tribune, the, the lieutenant colonel guy, right? This commanding officer in the military, um, he says, let's just arrest Paul and let's take him off to the barracks. You guys remember the story from last week, right? Everybody, you read your Bible, right? Okay, good. Can somebody say yes just to make me feel better about myself? Okay, thank you very much. So we're gonna pick up the story there. They've arrested Paul to keep him from getting killed on the street, but they're actually gonna take him to the barracks or the, the, the prison, basically, and they're gonna interrogate him. And they're gonna figure out why he's such a disturbance. And that's where we pick up. And Paul, having just been arrested by the military leaders, he had been falsely accused and beat within an inch of his life by his own people, the Jewish religious leaders, we get to this place where he's been arrested by the tribune and we see Paul never skip an opportunity. I, mean, I just think it's brilliant how Paul sees even this as a moment to share the gospel and he never skips an opportunity. So watch the very next thing that happens. Uh, chapter 21, picking up in verse 37. So as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he says to the tribune, the tribune is again this, this military leader who oversees all these soldiers. He says, can I say something to you? I just find that really funny. Paul's probably dripping blood out of every opening in his face. He's beat almost to death. And this guy rescues him and he looks at the guy who rescued him. He goes, can I talk to you now? And the tribune responds to Paul and he says, do you know Greek? Because he's a Roman, right? He's a Roman officer. He says, do you know Greek? How are you gonna speak to me? Which tells us like Paul probably asked him in Greek and the tribune's going, how do you know Greek? Like, you know Greek? And then he says this, look at this random question. The tribune asks him, are you not the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of assassins out into the wilderness? 
When I read this, I'm going, where did I miss that in the book of Acts? This is a total false allegation about Paul. So now the tribune's in on falsely accusing this guy too. The tribune looks at him and he's like, you speak Greek? How are, you are you the Egyptian guy that I've been hearing about? You gotta understand the context. And let me just pack it in for you a little bit because it's not in your Bible. This is like you gotta do some other research. The tribune, that's the title of this guy. He's a commanding officer over all the military presence in Jerusalem. His job is to keep the peace of this Roman province called Jerusalem, right? And he had somehow heard about this revolutionary group that was being headed up by a false prophet who came out of Egypt and had recruited this wild band of crazy zealots who had decided in following their prophet, they're gonna overturn Jerusalem and destroy it. So there was numbers, Josephus is a first century scholar or historian who actually talks about it and he actually had bigger numbers. He said it was like thousands more than just 4,000. But this tribune asked Paul, he said, are you the guy that's gonna try to overthrow the entire city? Are you the zealot out of Egypt? Which you know, Paul, like he could easily start defending himself, but he doesn't do that. He could start going off on, how dare you accuse me of that? He doesn't do that. He literally responds with, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus, which is a city in a, it's a, it's a Roman town in an area called Cilicia. He said, I'm a citizen of no obscure city, which is kind of a dig on Egypt, you know, it's a little shady, but. And then watch, Paul just moves right on. He doesn't defend himself. He goes, how dare, he doesn't say, how dare you accuse me of this? Do you know who I am? He just says, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. I'm not Egyptian. I'm not leading a revolution. And then watch what he says. I beg you, permit me to speak to these people. Now, what people is he talking about? The crazy mob that's been beating the crap out of him. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He's like, please let me talk to them. Now, how many of you, if you were Paul, would be like, oh yeah, I got plenty to say to these dudes. Let me give them a piece of my mind. Paul, after being rescued out of the angry mob, asks his rescuer, can I say something to them real quick? I love love how he, after being beaten and tortured and falsely accused and now arrested, looks to them to share the gospel next. He, he He turns it around and says, look, I've taken all these beatings, I've been hurt, I've been lied about, I've been offended, I've been wounded. I'm extremely exhausted and tired, thankful thou, thou that God has given me these soldiers to get me out of there, but now I need to tell them about the gospel. Talk about never skipping an opportunity. I just wanna remind you of what's been happening. Paul was in prison. He's been falsely accused by Jewish leaders. He's now been falsely mistaken, given a false identity by the tribune, and none of that discouraged him from sharing the gospel. He could have easily resented the Jews who had him arrested and that were beating him in the street, but he begs for a chance to tell them about Jesus. He could have easily rejected the tribune for false accusation and for being a Gentile or some outsider, but he couldn't wait for him to hear about Jesus either and how God had changed Paul's life. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Who, when they were nailing him to the cross, cries out to the Lord, Father, forgive them, They don't even know what they're doing. The Apostle Paul was a changed man. And on the back end, I mean, have you ever watched an MMA fight, like a really long MMA fight, you know, when their eyeballs are all, you just go, how in the world does that face come back together? I don't understand. I just imagine Paul is totally bludgeoned after being attacked by multiple people in the street. Listen, they didn't just beat people and leave them there to to heal. They beat people to death in the streets like this. 
He's up near the top of the Temple Mount, the most holy site of Israel. They drag him out into the street and in the name of God are trying to beat him to death and it's only a secular officer of the military that saves his life. And Paul had every reason to wish them harm. But he instead begs for the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. I'm just not that mature. Anybody else like that? I mean, you cut me off in traffic and frankly, I don't care what happens to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> if you disrespect my wife, I don't care if you go to heaven or hell. I don't really care. You know, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Gosh, that was close. Woo. I'm just not that mature. I was the youngest of three. You know, I know payback. Come on, brothers know what I'm talking about. You know how to get your brother back. You know what I'm saying? Paul didn't go for vengeance. He didn't go for blood. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't go, you know what, God? They're your problem now. He still saw them as his. Can I just ask the church a really hard question? What in the world is our excuse? How in the world? Did you know most Christians have never shared the gospel with another person? How? I mean, what's our excuse, really? Well, they were mean to me. Let's compare notes. Well, they don't like me. Let's compare notes. You know what I'm saying? Like I read this story about Paul and I go, what in the world is my problem? And, and here's the thing, as a pastor, I share the gospel professionally. But, but will I do it with my family and my neighbors and at Walmart and places where I'm not welcome? Do I look for opportunities? Do I beg God, Lord, please let me have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus today. I can't tell you the last time I've prayed that prayer. Many of us say, well, I'm scared to share my faith. I don't know what to say. I don't know enough Bible. You're gonna see in a moment, Paul gets the opportunity to share his faith and he never opens with turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. We say, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed. I don't wanna offend anybody. I could lose my job. What if they laugh at me? What if they don't hear me? Paul had no fear, no shame, and in fact had every reason to let his offense keep him from sharing Jesus, but none of that stopped him. Hey, Christians, I just need to tell you something. You and I are commissioned by Jesus to share the gospel with other people. You don't get a pass because you're uncomfortable. You don't get a pass because they don't like you. You don't get a pass because you're offended. You don't get a pass. I don't get a pass because I'm a pastor to not share the gospel with other people. We can't let fear or embarrassment or pride keep us from talking about the Lord. If you belong to Jesus, the Great Commission belongs to you. If you belong to Jesus, you have an assignment from God to tell others about him. So what is our excuse? Why do we skip out on opportunities to talk about the Lord? I don't know if you've been around our church for long. You've probably heard this is a recurring theme here because we believe in the Great Commission. We believe that God is still about changed lives and we believe that God uses the church to do it. Can I hear an amen from somebody? So we should look for opportunities, look for moments. The next time somebody cuts you off, instead of giving them the one finger wave, tell them about the Lord. God loves you. I may not, but God loves you. Just shout it out across your car. I don't know, they may not even hear you. Next time you're offended or hurt, look for that as an opportunity to ask God, can I please share Jesus with those who've hurt me? And let your life be a billboard for Jesus Christ, to talk about the Lord, to share Christ. So let me give you an easy way because Paul shows us. I mean, it's the Acts of the Apostles, right? So we're gonna see what they did, how did they act, and this is what Paul does. So, so you guys understand how dire this situation is. He is a total victim 
of awful abuse, mischaracterizations, identity, misinformation. I mean, all, he's, he's totally justified by any of us if he were to just go off into the barracks and never talk to these people again. But he begs, can I please say something? So he shares his story. And I just want you to understand that your testimony is powerful. Every one of you has a story of God doing something in your life, and that's powerful. I'm raising kids in the church, right? And, and I've talked to kid, people who grew up in church, and sometimes they feel like, well, I don't have the testimony that I was a, you know, assassin for the hitman squad or whatever. I wasn't bad enough. No, no, no. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us has a testimony. And listen to me, your story has power. Start there. Watch what Paul does in verse 40. So when the tribune had given Paul permission, Paul standing on the steps, remember the temple mound, they've come out of the temple courts because Gentiles aren't allowed up there, so they're outside on the steps. And he motions his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed the people in the Hebrew language. By the way, when I put words in yellow, these are words you should take note of and highlight, right? He addresses the crowd in Hebrew. Now he just spoke in Greek to the tribune, but now he's speaking to the crowd in Hebrew. And he starts by saying this, brothers and fathers, brothers and fathers. And he says, hear the defense that I now make before you. The word defense here is where we get the word apologetic, right? It's our ability to defend our faith. Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Very interesting. Remember the crowd that has attacked him. They're zealous Jews from Asia. They are come to the, to the temple mount. It's all men. That's why he says brothers and fathers. This is not, there's not like another group of ladies there pounding on, on Paul. You know what I'm saying? This is all guys that have attacked him. So he's not being a sexist here. He's just knowing his crowd. But he first calls them brothers and fathers. What kind of language is that? It's the language of family. It's the language of you belong to me. Paul doesn't say, hey, you bunch of hypocritical religious zealot nuts. He doesn't start there. He goes, hey, family, brothers and fathers. It's meant to endear this crowd to himself and to show that he loves them. And he spoke to them in Hebrew. Why is that important? The language of the street, the language, the vernacular of the first century Roman occupied city was Greek or Aramaic, but he chooses to speak in the language of their fathers in the Hebrew language. We know he speaks Greek, we know he speaks Aramaic, but why does he speak to them in Hebrew? Because he loved them because he desperately wanted them to know Jesus. He spoke to them in a way that showed value to them, to their shared history, and that he had a love for them as family. Listen, I just wanna tell you, if you're gonna share your testimony, there's something so powerful about deciding to speak to people like they matter. Speak to people like they're important. Speak to people like they're family, like you actually see them like you see your own brothers and fathers and mothers and sisters. Treat people like they matter. Talk to people in a way that honors them and doesn't speak down to them. Make sure that you're listening to understand where they're at. Paul could have easily spoken in any language. He could have started with the, the story of redemption history from Genesis chapter three, but he speaks to them in their native tongue in a way that approaches them and he spoke to them out of love and family language. I wanna encourage you that when you start to share your testimony, look at people like you care. Talk to them like they matter to you and speak in a way that shows honor. Please, church people are so notorious for talking over people, for speaking judgmentally and critically and talking down to folks. Please don't be arrogant. Walk in humility and talk to people like they matter. He goes on to say, 
He goes on to say in verse three, I am a Jew. Remember, they've attacked him. And if you go back to last week's message, they accused him of all kinds of things against the Jewish faith and the, and the traditions of our fathers, right? And he says to them, brothers and fathers, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus, which is a Roman occupied but Jewish town. He says, but I was brought up in this city, in Jerusalem. And then he gives this pedigree statement that is literally one of the most brilliant things he could have said. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Gamaliel was the top Jewish scholar of the day. It would be like saying, I studied under Einstein. Paul is saying, look guys, I'm one of you. I'm Jewish. I, I grew up in this city. This is my hometown. And I studied under our greatest teacher. Look what he says. I studied the strict manner of the law according to, notice the collective language again, our fathers. Being zealous for God, just like all of you. I think it's really important for Paul to make a connection to where someone is before trying to bring them to where God wants to take them. And sometimes in the church world, we get so full of ourselves and we go, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. Paul starts with going, I'm just like you. And I wanna remind every one of you, the story of your life, the testimony that God's given you, one of the major purpose God's given you that story is so that you can help other people in that same place come to know the Jesus that you follow. Paul starts by identifying with them and saying things about how their common ground is. He goes on to say, watch this. No, I've never met a Christian that says this is part of their testimony, watch this. He goes, I even persecuted this way to the death. Now the way, you notice it's capitalized W here. This is one of the, the early titles of the Christian movement. They called it the way of Jesus or followers of the way. So before it was ever called Life Point Church, cool Bible name, by the way, could you imagine if that was there? Before it was ever named anything, they just called it the people who follow Jesus or the way of Jesus. And look at Paul's testimony. He said, guys, I was just like you, super zealous, studying under Gamaliel. I grew up in this town. I get where you're at. And he said, in fact, I persecuted this way to the death. Watch this. He doubles down, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. It's one thing to say I hunted down Christian men. It's another thing to say, and I killed their wives and children too. Paul's going, I was such a bad dude and I had all the same passions as you and I was just as zealous for God and our traditions as you. I even murdered people who were Christians. And he said, the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear witness to this. They can all testify that this is what I did. I just want you to see first when Paul's sharing his testimony, which carries power, he shares his own testimony and his own pedigree. He doesn't spend a lot of time here, but he does talk about where he came from. And it's important because it helps him identify with those listening to him. He said, I was a zealot just like you. I was a bad guy just like you. I was killing Christians just like you're trying to kill me. He said, I was a terrible person. And then he switches to, but God got a hold of me. How many of you are thankful you got a past, but then you got God got a hold of you, right, everybody? He says this in verse six. I was on my way. I can just imagine Paul telling the story on the steps. He's bleeding everywhere. He's probably got broke arm. He's hobbling along. He goes, I was on my way to Damascus, which is loaded. If you don't know the story in Acts chapter nine, the high priest and the religious leaders sent Paul to Damascus to hunt down Christians and kill them. And he goes, I was on my way to Damascus to kill Christians. And about noon, a great light from heaven shone around me. Notice how he inserts God into the story. 
It's not just, and I had a great idea. Paul doesn't go, and then I decided to just be better. God had to intervene in his life. He said, a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. It's the Jesus of the way. He said, heaven opened up, and God spoke to me, and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Let me just tell you something just as an aside here. Listen, you're never saved by your own effort. You're only saved because God gets involved. And listen, anytime we are trying to live for ourselves or lead others to live for our, themselves, or you just do you, boo, and you do whatever's in your heart, or follow your flesh or follow culture, it's ultimately a life living against and persecuting the lordship of Jesus. Paul made it very clear. God showed up, God spoke to me from heaven, and Jesus showed himself as the one who I was persecuting. And it is, listen, it is not enough to let people just live their own best life and do whatever makes them feel happy. No, that's persecution against the gospel. But let me tell you, God wants to get a hold of our lives and those people's lives just like he did the apostle Paul. He's all about changed lives. Can I hear an amen? He goes on in verse 10, he's telling his testimony. Notice Paul hasn't opened up the book of Psalms and said, let's memorize 38 Psalms today if we're gonna get this right. He's just telling a story. Why? Because your story has power. He said, I was on the way to Damascus and God spoke to me. God showed up and said, why are you persecuting me? And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, rise and go to Damascus. I love how Paul immediately starts calling him Lord. Isn't that one of the hardest things we do as followers of Jesus? Like I love Jesus as my savior, but I'm just kind of 50-50 on him as Lord. Like I want you to be my Lord, but not all the time. I mean, can I be in charge a little bit? You know what I'm saying? Like anybody else struggle with that besides me? Paul's immediate response to God was, what can I do, Lord? And the Lord says to him, rise and go to Damascus. You're already on your way there. And there, watch this. Jesus says to him, you will be told all that is appointed for you. God says, I got a plan for your life and you're gonna learn what it is in Damascus. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and I came to Damascus. In other words, I obeyed God. Now, this is a very interesting thing, and honestly, you can glaze over this point in your, in your Bible reading if you don't slow down and pay attention to this. He says to the Lord, he's blinded by the light, he stopped on his way to persecuting Christians, and Jesus says, stop persecuting me. It's me, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Paul responds, what do you want me to do? Lord, God gives him direction, go to Damascus, and he does it. There's something about God changing our lives that produces a desire to obey him. Let me say that one more time for those of you in the back. There's something about God changing our lives that produces a desire for us to obey him. One of the marks of a changed person is I no longer wanna live for myself and my culture and my flesh, but I would rather live for Jesus. And it's so subtle here, it's easy to miss it, but Paul could have easily said, I can't believe you, you knocked my eyes out, Lord. I'm going back to Jerusalem to keep hunting. He could have taken that as an assault, as an offense, as an affront from God, but instead he goes, what do you want from me, Lord? I'm in. And a mark of a life changed is a life submitted to Jesus. We choose now to follow the Lord. That's part of your testimony. And I used to go this way, but now I go this way. I used to love doing this stuff, but now I like doing other things. I remember as a new Christian, I didn't know jack about the Bible. I knew John 316 and Austin 316 because I watched wrestling in the 90s. That's the way it's gonna be, cause Stone Cold said so. Y'all remember that? Come on now. 
It's a great reference. I didn't know the Bible. Here's what I did know. I'm different. I remember going to school a week after being a new Christian. And I'm going, you got to come with me to church. What? You got to come. I'm telling you, man, this, it's amazing what God's doing. I wake up in the morning. I can't wait to tell people about the Lord. And then all these Southerners, you know, church folks, Southern people, love, you know, they know church and they know a little bit of theology. So they're throwing questions at me. What about this? And what about, I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. I just know I'm different. That's what Paul says. Notice he hasn't started quoting the Bible at them yet. He's just telling a story. Why? Because your story has power. Listen, the Bible, there's so much truth in the Bible. There's so much truth in the gospel. There's so much truth in going to church. And there's power in your story. Paul's telling his story. I was persecuting. God got a hold of me. I'm different. I'm obeying God. I'm doing whatever he says. Some people say, I don't know how to tell my God my story. I don't know how to tell the gospel. I don't know what to say. So let me just, please write this down. This is six steps to sharing the gospel by Mike Burnett, okay? First thing I want to encourage you is make it all about Jesus. Some people never get to Jesus in sharing the gospel, like share your faith, share your testimony. Talk about what Jesus has done for you. Don't make it about generic God, some Godhead. No, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Make it about Jesus. He's the one that died for your sin. He's the one that raised from the dead for you. Make it about Jesus. When you start, just start praising the Lord. Say, praise God, praise Jesus, praise the Lord. He's been so good to me. Second thing, make your story about Jesus and then share a bit about your past. But keep it brief. I'll never forget one year I led one of our first missions trips as a church and I brought a friend on the trip and he was kind of a young believer, young Christian, and, but he really had a hunger to be in ministry. So I take him on this trip and I'm kind of developing, discipling him. And we're in Guatemala and he starts sharing his testimony with the pastors and their family. And man, you would think this guy killed Kennedy, like burned down buildings in the middle of where, I mean, he was just, I, I don't know why I even said it. It was so bad. And he was going on and on and on about how bad he was. And he was laughing. He's like, bro, you should have seen all the dope I was selling and all the, oh my gosh, all the girls I was with. I'm like, chill, bro. That's not the point of the story. Sometimes we get so fixated on how awful we are, we don't say how good God is. Share your story, but be brief about it. Here's how I tell my testimony. If I'm gonna share it with somebody, I don't, I don't give a lot of details. I say it like this, man, I was far from God. I was trying to live a good life being a moral person, but I just didn't have God in my heart. I did a lot of bad things. I treated people poorly. I had no respect for God or for people. The last thing I need to do is go into all the seedy details of how awful of a human I was, because honestly, that turns into like watching Big Brother or something. You know, it feels like a reality show and all we're doing is just shading how awesome we were. No, no, no. The story's not about how bad you were. It's about how good God is. So be brief about it. But that's what Paul does. He goes, look, I grew up in this town. I studied under Gamaliel. I was murdering Christian men and women. By the way, I don't know anybody that said that yet. When I meet elders at our church, like, tell us how you came to the Lord. I was murdering Christians. <laughs> have you been through next steps? Like, have you? <laughs> Are you in a small group? I don't know anybody with that story yet, you know what I'm saying? So if that's you, tell me, we'd love to talk about it. <laughs> and then start talking about shift from, I was lost. That's the story, I was lost. And then talk about, but man, God started doing something in my life. You know what happened for me? I had a girl invited me to a church thing. And I had a neighbor who used to say, I'm praying for you, Mike. My little old neighbor, Sheila. 
called her Mommy Sheila. She said, I'm praying for you boys. I'm like, okay, whatever. Where's your husband? He's got the moonshine. I mean, I was truly, no joke, Carl, he was my ride or die. And Sheila prayed for us. And I tell stories, man. There were t- I, had dr- I remember dreams that God would give me when I was 13, 14 years old where God was drawing me. Because it, it was on that road to Damascus that the heavens opened up and God spoke to Paul. Tell how God started doing that in you. Because honestly, the people hearing that need to know that God will do that for them. And maybe this conversation is God doing that for you right now. And then tell them how Jesus changed your life and is still changing you. Man, I used to, I used to love Sunday morning sleeping in and, and doing other stuff, but man, I can't wait to go to church now. It's the craziest thing. I get up early with excitement to get dressed and go to church. Man, when I got saved, I was the only person in my family going to church. Nobody got up and went to church with me. And I went for every service. I wasn't like on a team or nothing. I just went, they did two services. I was like, I'll go twice. We'll be back tonight at 5.30. See you then. I didn't know. I didn't know the real Christians went on Sunday nights. Y'all know what I'm talking about, (laughs) y'all? That's a joke. (laughs) But I just knew God was changing. Tell people, and then say it like this. I can't explain it. I'm just different. I used to like this. I don't like it anymore. I used, to, I used to be so greedy, but now I can't wait to give. Like I love giving. It's the craziest thing. God is wrecking my life. And then be honest, say, it's still happening. In fact, be honest that it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey. One of the greatest statements I ever heard, I was in college, I was a young Christian, and I was doing, I had a class, uh, they had an assignment. I can't even remember the class. I think it was an English class or something. They said, we want you to do a project like a contemporary issues project, and you can do a paper, boring. You can do a documentary, sweet. That's what I did. And they said, pick your topic. So I wanted to do faith on campus at the University of Tennessee. That year we were voted number one party school in America. So I knew I had lots of digging to do here. And I was like investigating, reporting, you know, this bag of the day with camcorders on the shoulder. Y'all remember them? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and I came upon this guy, he was a grounds worker, uh, like a facilities guy. And I just walked up to him and I said, hey, I'm doing a documentary on faith on campus. Could I interview you? And this guy was, oh yeah, praise the Lord. I mean, he got real churchy real quick and it was great. And he made a statement. He said, I'll never forget. I'd never heard it before. I'd been saved like a year. He said, you know, God's been so good to me. And then he said, I'm not where I wanna be, but I'm not where I used to be. I was like, say that again for the camera. He said, I'm not where I, I wanna be, but I'm not where I used to be. Just be honest that God's doing something. Listen, Paul's in a place in his journey where it's like, man, I'm not done. Here I am, beat to half to death, and I'm just telling the next crowd about Jesus. I'm not where I want to be. I'm sure Paul could say that. I'm certainly not where I want to be. And then invite them to follow the Lord. Please, like, let your testimony be the groundwork for somebody else to come to faith in Jesus. I love it. Your, your, your testimony has a lot of power. Y'all get anything out of this? I'm not even gonna finish my sermon. I'm just telling you right now, I'm gonna end it early because I don't, I don't wanna cause a, a traffic jam, a kid point check-in. As we go through this text, we see the Apostle Paul showing us his divine purpose. And I want you to discover your purpose too. I want you to evaluate the story of your life and go, what's God doing? Why did I grow up? This is what the, these are questions I used to ask. Why did I grow up with a, without a dad? Why did I grow up with a single mom and youngest three? Why were we so broke all the time? Why did other kids have great lives and my life was so hard? 
Why do I go to school for music? I don't even sing anymore. I don't even, like this morning I caught myself, I was like, I'm just standing here just worshiping. I'm not even singing. Why do I go to school for music? <laughs> I don't even know God uses our lives in this season to do something in another season, right? Well, listen, you gotta discover your purpose. Watch what Paul says. He goes, so I, I, I come to Damascus and, and a guy named Ananias uh, and then he, this is so good, he's endearing to his audience. A devout Jewish man, well spoken of by all the Jews, he lived there like he's going, you guys would love Ananias. He's one of us too. And he came to me and he said, brother Saul. See that family language? Paul's bringing this crowd in. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I started seeing, and then he said, the God of our fathers. Just imagine being in the crowd and you're watching Paul tell this story. And he goes, and guys, Ananias said to me, the God of our fathers has appointed you. And he gives four appointments for Saul. To know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, for you to be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. How many of you know these things are all true? He had to know God's will to write the Bible. He got to see the righteous one on the road to Damascus. He got to hear a voice from Jesus himself so that he could be a witness. You know, Paul is still witnessing to us right now through this sermon to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And now Ananias said to me, so why do I wait? Let's get up and get baptized and wash away your sins and call on the name of Jesus. Man, I just wanna tell you, I love his brilliance of letting the Jewish audience know that, man, this is one of our own, Ananias, a devout, well-spoken Jew. He follows Jesus. He calls me brother. He said, the God of our fathers is doing something new in us. And notice, he says, God has a new assignment for you, Paul. You're gonna know his will, see the righteous one, hear his voice, and be a witness for everyone everywhere. Paul's sharing his testimony. He goes, look, I'm from here. I'm one of you. And now God, I was doing something else. I was hunting down Christians. Paul's old assignment was to hunt Christians, hunt them down and kill them. He was a hired assassin in the name of God. And then he says, but God got a hold of my life and he gave me a new assignment. Listen to me, church. God has new purpose for our lives when we say yes to him. And one of the reasons you need to share that with others is they need to know that there's more to this life than living in the cycle of their own sin and stupidity. If God can repurpose Paul's life from killer to church planter, then God can repurpose our lives too. It's why we ask you to go through our Next Steps class. We wanna help you discover your purpose and how God's built you and wired you. And you can look at the course of your life and see the hand of God. And he goes, I wanna use this, I wanna use this, I wanna use this for my glory and my kingdom. Listen, sharing your testimony, inviting people to know God is helping them discover their purpose. And I want you to come, listen, if you're new with us in our church or you've not been, join us in our Next Steps class right after this service at Austin P or here at this location and meet us after this service to get into our class and see God's design for your life. Man, Paul had an incredible purpose for God. The Lord wanted to use Paul in a very specific and powerful way and to share the gospel with people, with the Jews first and also the Gentiles. Listen, I have friends who have discovered, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, new Christian, or you've been around this thing for a long time, whether you're healthy or not, your financial status, it doesn't matter, God has a purpose and a design for your life. I have a friend he goes to our church, he grew up in church, he's a farmer, 
And just over, right before Thanksgiving, he was able to use all of his life to walk his son to faith in Jesus sitting in a deer blind. Purpose. I have a friend who runs an insurance business. He's made a lot of money. He's served a lot of people. And God's allowed him to use that money and that platform to not only bless others, but now the school system where he lives has asked him to write values-based curriculum for kids in their local schools. He's got purpose. I have a friend who owns a real estate business, owns a lot of properties, and he uses the money God's blessed him with to fund mission work, to plant new churches, and to do the work of evangelism. He's got purpose. Another friend in his mid-50s, a former executive with major, major clothing brands, He's, he's reoriented his life by God's assignment and now he's a volunteer chaplain. He got ordained as a pastor in order to serve as a volunteer chaplain in his church to go to local, church, local prisons and local hospitals. He's found purpose. A lady in our church was a military police officer after 22 years of service, retired, and now serves the homeless and poor with YAPEC Outreach. Listen, God loves you. His power is in you. Your testimony is super powerful and he's got purpose for your life. So let's discover it and let's use it for his good. I gotta close because I'm out of time. I've got actually two and a half more pages of sermon notes. And y'all know I don't ever finish a sermon early, but I'm trying to be disciplined. The way the story wraps up, if you guys can clear my TV, the way the story wraps up, you would think Paul would share this great story and his testimony and all these zealous Jews would go, we're in, we're all in, Paul. Lead us to salvation. He goes on to say, and God even extended my call to witness to Gentiles, non-Jews, and they go, what? Kill him. It gets worse. And they attack him again because he actually says, and God has a call for the rest of the world too. And I'm just gonna tell you, listen, serving Jesus can be painful, there will be people in your family, people in your friend group, people you grew up with who don't understand what God's doing with you. They don't agree with your following Jesus the way you are. Look at me, follow him anyway. No matter what, follow the Lord anyway. I can't tell you how many times as a young believer, I begged God for just friends in the faith because I felt like all my friends saw, I was like that new weird religious guy. And I would tell the Lord, man, it's so lonely serving you, but I'm gonna serve you anyway. Sitting in my dorm room with my Bible on a Friday night, and going, God, I'd rather be at one of those parties with all my friends. I know how to party. But saying, God, nevertheless, I'm gonna serve you. And I'm just here to encourage you, church. You've got a purpose on your life. You've got divine design on you. God wants to use you. Never skip an opportunity to share Jesus. And look at me. Even if you have to serve him alone, serve him faithfully. We're reading the acts of the apostles and the way they acted should teach us how to follow Jesus too. Amen, everybody. Have you been blessed today by the message, everyone? Come on, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're thankful to God for what you've taught us through this message. We're thankful for what you did in the life of the apostle Paul. And God, we ask that you would speak to us God, in the same way that you challenged Paul, that you challenged us, that in the ways that you anointed him and you gave him a passion for those who persecuted and hurt him. Lord, would you give us a desire to beg the Lord for opportunities to speak the gospel to other people. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name that you would use your church to bring transformation to a hurting and broken and dying world. Lord, I pray that we'd never miss an opportunity, that God, we would see contention or pain or God parties or, or great moments or low moments as opportunities to share the gospel with somebody. 
Lord, would you give us the boldness to do it? Help us to refine our testimony and our story so that we can share Jesus with other people. Lord, we pray by the power of God that we would see the purpose of God in our lives and help others see it as well. Lord, that you would transform us from lost to found. God, that you would give us new designed purpose from the Holy One. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Could you just pray a prayer of confession that Jesus is Lord of your life one more time? And maybe, maybe you would pray that today and you say, this is the first time I've really committed my life to the Lord. See, I grew up in the South where I believed in God my whole life. I believed in Jesus my whole life, but I didn't submit to Jesus. I didn't choose to obey him. I didn't follow him until my senior year of high school. I wanna invite everyone in the room and you make sure that decision is clear, clear today. God, I'm gonna live for you and serve you the rest of my life. Can everyone pray this prayer with me? Come on, say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sin and raised from the dead so that I may have eternal life. Say, God, I give you my whole life. I'm all in, I'm all yours. You are my Lord forever in Jesus' name, amen.